Yep. We should see how many uh, accountants and lawyers we can get on a show. Oh, wait. No, <laughs> wait. <laughs> no more, no more. Maximum capacity. So, uh... Yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 200 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny. And did you just hear what I said? It was episode 200. This is monumental. It's huge. Now, I'm not going to talk about it because we talk a lot about it in the show, or maybe just a little bit. I don't know. We're kind of proud of ourselves here. But thank you so much for joining us and being a part of this monumental occasion. And it's because of you, our listeners, why this has been so successful. So keep tuning in, and we're going to keep bringing you good original bourbon content. Now on with a little bit of the news. Adam Hurst of the LA Whiskey Society has uncovered the world's oldest whiskey. It's a 12-year-old Pennsylvania rye distilled in 1847. It's been passed down through generations of family as well as estate sales until it ended up in the hands of someone asking more about its origin. The link to the website in our show notes goes through intensive detail of the label, glass, seal, cork condition, and even guesses what the whiskey is comprised of because back then there was no notion of, oh, hey, what's your mash bill? And really, also, what is the importance of discovering this ancient artifact? And I guess I say ancient in relatively new terms here. But having a bottle from pre-Civil War era is a window into the age of whiskey history that at this point only documentation's been around. So other than that, you know, there hasn't been much else. And now historians have reviewed the advertisements, bill of sales, and other records. And we now have a legitimate bottle of whiskey from over 160 years ago. Go read the in-depth analysis from the link in our show notes. Are you coming to the Bourbon Trail and happen to be staying in Louisville, Kentucky? Well, Ryan and I, we get asked all sorts of questions all the time of where should we go eat or where should we get a drink? Well, we went ahead and started creating a collection and we put it on Yelp and you can go and get that in our show notes. It's loaded with casual and fine dining choices, dessert spots, as well as our favorite places to grab a cocktail or a glass of bourbon at one of our local watering holes around town. Now with that, let's hear from our good friend, Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick and this is Above the Char. I stood in the middle of a liquor store aisle. A consumer asked the retailer, what was the most smooth bourbon on the shelf? Now, the retail attendant is just someone who's doing his job. He meant well. And he picked out five or six bourbons that he thought were smooth. And he did it based on proof. They were all 80 or 90 proof. When reality, the bourbons that he picked were actually a little hot for their proofs. So he completely eliminated things like Four Roses, single barrel, which is 100 proof, or Knob Creek, which is 100 proof, or Booker's, which, you know, it gets up there in the 120 proof range. Completely ignored them all, despite them being very smooth. And we see smooth being used in all sorts of marketing. We're talking about going back to the earliest forms of whiskey marketing, and you'll find the words smooth. Well, what does that mean? What does smooth actually mean? In a sense, it's meant to be a word that kind of covers the word good. <laughs> 
But in reality, smooth really does have a true definition within the industry. As I recall, many people saying, but most notably, Jim Rutledge talked about smoothness being about how does it feel on the palate and how does it burn? If it burns at any point in a major way, then it is not smooth for you. So from the moment that it hits your palate to the all the way down to the belly, if it's burning at any point in that process, then it is not smooth for you. But just like taste is very subjective, what tastes good to me may not taste good to you. And so what is smooth for me, a grizzled and veteran whiskey drinker, may not be smooth for someone who's just getting in the game. So there's really no right answer for what is smooth. But I'll tell you what isn't smooth. Vodka. Vodka sucks. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, just like Drew Scott did on May 4th. He's the one who came up with the idea for what the term smooth means. Well, actually, he said to stop using the term smooth when describing whiskey. I decided to give a little bit of a definition instead. But hey, if you've got an idea, send it to me. That's at Fred Minnick. Again, that's at Fred Minnick. And thank you, Drew, for that wonderful idea. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. This is the 200th episode of Bourbon Pursuit. Welcome back, everybody. We here with the 32nd recording of the Bourbon Community Roundtable. I'm glad I haven't gotten my my numbers mixed up in my head yet because we are really anticipating this day. It's kind of a, a huge milestone for us. So, uh, Ryan, congratulations. Like an Adrian, an Adrian, like we did at moment. <laughs> like, should we be like running up the stairs, Rocky style? I know. We need like, you know, the Evan Williams bottle, red label with the 200, like all wrapped around it. We need that, you know, wrapped around this episode. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I can't believe, gosh, how 
how is that possible <laughs> that, that, that we've done 200 episodes? That's amazing. And, uh, a lot of cool stuff we've done over the past few years. So congrats yeah. to you. Well, it's, it's to all of us and to the whole community roundtable here as well. Uh, you know, these guys have been a, a very big part of making this show successful as well. Uh, you know, these, these community roundtables are one of the, the most downloaded episodes that we have. I think it's just people love it when you bitch about bourbon and they love to hear the banter of what goes on. So with that, I'm I'm actually celebrating since I don't have like an Evan Williams 200th anniversary. I figured I'd grab like a, a Henry McKenna bottled and bond at 100 proof, and I got a Pursuit Series 04 to 100 proof, 100 proof, mix them together, and I guess it's 200. I, <laughs> it's how long did you think about that? On that? How long did you think about doing that before? I thought a few hours early. I was like, "What can I do to celebrate?" Because I saw Blake's post. He said, "What are we drinking that to celebrate?" And I said, "I, I have no idea. I, I guess I'll just grab two hundred proof bourbons and mix them together. That's about as close as I can think of with something ridiculous." Yeah. Well, could you get to a two hundred year old bourbon? Like, what's in your stash? You could grab, get three final reserves or something. Yeah. <laughs> How close could you get in a glass with a Nick? I thought tonight's roundtable, we're actually going to turn it around, and we're all going to interview you and Ryan about the highlights of uh, you know the last two hundred episodes. Sure, I like it. Some of your favorite moments. But you, uh, you could, but I think people get bored pretty quickly. Yeah, we, <laughs> we're not that exciting. It, all in all, we don't care all that much. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember the premise of the show is never about us. It's we're the dumbasses that are the ones that ask well, all the questions. So and that's right. what episode number two hundred is for. You ask me a question, <laughs> I'm like, uh, definitely don't know. <laughs> So with that, let's go ahead and let's go around the table as usual and introduce everybody. Blake's already chimed in, so Blake, I'll let you go first. Yes, I am Blake from Bourboner.com and Sealbox.com. You can find me at Bourboner.com, B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R, or all the social medias that correspond with that, as well as Sealbox.com. That's S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S. And I'm drinking one of my current favorite bottles off the Sealbox. It's a J. Henry and Sons. It's their five-year um, five bourbon that's finished in cognac barrels. So really good stuff. Check it out. Awesome. Good deal. And uh, a face that we haven't seen in a while, Nick from Breaking Bourbon, man. How you been? I'm uh, catching up on uh, sleep finally here, guys. <laughs> but uh, glad to be back. I tried to make the last two and kind of last minute. I was like, Jordan, I'm sorry. I'm, I am not going to be home in time for this. So can you jump on? And he was always excited to jump on. So he, he's been doing the, a bunch of them here lately. But uh, anyways, I'm Nick from BreakingBourbon.com. Uh, check us out online breakingbourbon.com obviously and all the social media is all at breaking bourbon um i will kind of kind of reminiscing a little bit i remember us being guests on bourbon pursuit years ago i can't remember the episode number uh, but it was in the first you know series run of them is before we were doing video so it was all audio uh eric and i were over at his house you know jordan was at his house kenny and ryan we we couldn't see you guys i'm not sure where you were exactly but uh, i remember we were uh talking about the bourbon storage experiment and Kind of excited because we had been I had been listening to you guys from the beginning, you know, from your first episode forward. And uh, it was the first, you know, podcast and the first time we had done anything like that. Um, so just kind of thinking back about that now, I, I was it two years ago, three years ago. I can't remember at this point. But, um, yeah, kind of, uh, you know, fun, exciting run here and excited to see where it goes from here. That was yeah. definitely one of my highlight episodes. 
you know, with you guys. Don't make these other guys feel bad. Thanks a lot, jerk. I paid him to say that. Three bottles in the mail for him. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the big things and the great things about what we've what we've really done here in the roundtable is you know it all actually all started off. Each one of you had your own sort of singular episode before we even decided like, hey, let's get on and do you know kind of come on this together. So it was it was good with that. So if anybody really wants to see how bad our interview skills were in the first like fifty episodes, then you can go and yeah, check. Yeah, if you out. think they're bad now, just <laughs> the first. Like, I, actually, I actually listened 20. to a little bit of a uh, or uh, roundtable number one last night. Or wow. yesterday. Wow, you must. Um, have been I think bored. whenever you sent it out, yeah, I was like, <laughs> "What did you sound like on the first one?" Yeah, it I was you had um, like five kids. How the hell do you have time to like go? <laughs> I do it at work. I don't actually work. Yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's one of those ones where it's like had good personality. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Everybody's on their iPhone they, headphones. They try had actual mics or filters or where we're at now. So. <laughs> Yeah, they were all vintage, and it turns out they were auditions for this. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's been a good journey, that's for sure. And so, Brian, I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, sure, everyone. I'm uh, I'm Brian with Sippin' Corn. You can find me on the social medias S I P P N C O R N and sippincorn.com and uh, bourbonjustice.com. So check that out. It's a book available on Amazon and through Potomac and on the website bourbonjustice.com. Uh, I was also thinking back to the early time uh, the, that I was on the show to, to begin with, but that was replaced last night when I met a bunch of guys for a wild turkey tasting, and practically everyone there had something to say about the bourbon community roundtable. And it that, that's when it really struck me how we're able to to connect with so many different people from so many different walks of life. And, and Kenny and, and Ryan, you guys have done great on this i mean it's just the the reach that you guys have had um and the popularity of it is just fantastic so congratulations on 232 roundtables thank you sir it's all due to our good legal advice you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> navigate those legal waters that's right for sure I feel like I'm doing my own little barrel bourbon blend over here, like mixing this uh, the Kentucky and Tennessee stuff. It's actually pretty good mixing these these two together. <laughs> Are you Rivalry. really mixing them together? I really did. I mixed them together. I, I wasn't just joking. You never like know I know what you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah I, I, I followed through with my promise. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the next uh, uh, pursuit series. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And now the other thing is, uh, you know, Fred couldn't be here tonight. He said that he had a, a, a pretty wild derby, um, you know, going to parties. And he's just finally getting to the point where he was at home and his five-year-old son said, Dad, when are we going to hang out again? And I said, yeah, you need to spend time with your family. That's totally fine. So uh, we're going to be sans Fred on this one, but that's okay. And, you know, speaking of that with the derby, uh, let's have a little bit of a postmortem because – uh, let's talk a little bit of thoughts on the race. I know we got we got three guys here from Kentucky, uh, two that think they're from Kentucky. So let's try to try to get an idea of you know what your all's thoughts were just in the race in general because it was uh, kind of a wild finish. Yeah, first I'd like to clarify. I don't think I'm from Kentucky. You know, we're, <laughs> we're from Florida. We're, no, um, I mean my thoughts on the race were. It's kind of kind of messed up when you when you look at the uh, I go back to the NCAA tournament because that's sports I actually care about. Um, and who was it? Virginia against uh, Virginia against Auburn. It's like was it was it a foul at the game? You know the last shot of the game. 
by the book, yeah, it probably was a foul. Do you make that call at that time? I don't know. You know, I would probably say no. So uh, I, I was not for the call. I, I thought, you know, there's probably a lot of other uh, places that could have been called where it, it just kind of gets overlooked. But I'm not a huge horse racing fan, so it's kind of hard for me to weigh in with any kind of credibility. All I know is I watched the race. I walked outside and started cooking more. And my wife came outside and said, oh, yeah, they're actually recalling it. Or I, I forget what she used. But, yeah, so all in all, I'd say would rather just – see the horses run and you know if there's a little bit of bumping um so be it but yeah that, sounds like a, a lot like a your bourbon opinions. that's a floridian's opinion <laughs> not a good party unless there's a little bit of bumping at some point. <laughs> <laughs> no no bumping and grinding i don't see nothing that. wrong with a little <laughs> like a jodeci album's getting ready to come on or something yeah yeah now, but, I think I, I got to kind of agree with that. You know, I honestly, we watched the race and we had people over and before they even made that call, we were doing something else and kind of lost track of it. It wasn't until the next day that uh, that became apparent and, and kind of went back and looked at it. And, you know, I guess it's a tough call, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, there are animals out there running in a circle, you know, one animal <laughs> moved over a little bit in front of another animal the rules are the rules, I guess, you know, <laughs> but it seemed, it did seem really surprising and kind of shocking that, that they did make that call. Well, it's definitely shocking. It's the first time it's ever happened in the, yeah. in the Derby that the winner yeah. lost and I'm, I'm no steward, all, all of the, those disclaimers, but I'll disagree with you guys just to have a different opinion. The, uh, the people who I do know who are in the horse business were just working it on how dangerous that really, that move really was. And it's not just the animal moving over into the lane. It's it's the jockey being reckless and going for that spot. Uh, hell, you know, whatever whatever happens, be damned. He's going to go for that spot. And if they would have clipped, apparently if they would have clipped hooves, which was really close to happening, you would have had two horses that were shot on the track. And if if that's if that happened in the in the Derby, they had to pull out the blue tarp and kill some horses. Uh, that's that'd just be devastating. Um, so I think they have to be careful like this. And and if that's the, if that's the risk, then you got to call them like that. Yeah. Is that a real thing? Like they pull out the blue tarp and oh yeah, they put a horse down. Well, they yeah, they put yeah. them down on the track. Yeah, they'll they'll haul out an ambulance, kind of cover them up, and then yeah, euthanize them if it's so bad that they can't. Don't think it's gonna they can save them. So yeah, you got to oh, think horse. these these horses are. I think I said this last night to Kenny. I mean, these horses are, you know, thousand plus on these really frail, uh, skinny legs. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like targeting within, you know, in college football, if you get target with the helmet to helmet, you get ejected, you know, it's, it sucks because yes, it is like, you know, part of the game you're hitting, but at the same time, you're trying to protect these animals. And, uh, they say it's animals, but they're very highly trained animals by, this is all they do. And so the jockey knew what he was doing and, and they have to do it to protect these animals. And so it, while it does suck, it is the right call. And uh, yeah, that's the way it needs to be. Is that where they fell on that? Did they fall on the jockey was definitely behind it more or less, or was the, or that the horse had just moved out of position? The, The jockey tried to say that, the horse got scared by the other one. I'm like, well, that happens every race, you know, this is not nothing new. And so, you know, it, it, he can control that animal in that situation. So, but 
I'm not a jockey and I don't ride, but I do think it, they would have made that call. No, no, no question in any regular race. And so I'm glad that they did it on such a big stage, but it did piss a lot of people off because that was a favorite and a lot of money was on, on that horse. Yeah. Let's just make sure we reaffirm that none of us are like <laughs> blood stock. Yeah. Like we have no skin in the game. We actually have no idea. Yeah. We're just, we're just commenting to comment. So yeah, uh, I have even less credibility in horse racing than I do in bourbon. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) take for what that's worth. So with that, we'll we'll switch it up and talk about some bourbon a little bit because, you know, bourbon was out in full force at the Derby. For anybody that wasn't paying attention, Brown Foreman really has their time in the spotlight when it comes to it. Woodford Reserve Mm -hmm. and Old Forester are there during Oaks and Derby. And there are a lot of mint juleps that are sold there during that day. Now, one thing is that... I enjoy a mint julep during the season. I think it's just like a classic thing. I, I don't know why. I just kind of got hooked on them a little bit. I even had a, a mint julep recipe I put out there. However, there's a lot of people that are kind of the uh, hardcore bourbon people that are saying that you're bastardizing good bourbon. You know, if you're going to make a mint julep, take all the other crap out there and just give me the bourbon. So what do you guys think? Do you look at it as a kind of like a, a timeless classic or, or is it something that, you know, maybe a, a bourbon nerd should probably just quit drinking a mint julep? You got to have a mint julep at the track. It's like just it's it's just they go hand in hand. I mean, it's it's a tradition. It's in the old Forester actually is pretty good uh, pre-mix mint julep. I had they're and they're dangerously like sneaky strong. I had several and I ran into Kenny and I was I was like I had two or three. And, I, and then the next day I like woke up in my track outfit on the couch. And so I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what, what's in these things, you know, or did Hold on, like your track them? outfit, like the outfit you went to the track in or like, exactly. you're in like a, a yeah, jersey like and like short shorts on. I was thinking the ladder at first actually place. I appreciate the clarification. <laughs> <laughs> my running track outfit. Like things got real <laughs> crazy. If you got into a whole new outfit. Yeah. <laughs> not my, not my spikes and uh, yeah. but, uh, my suit and whatever, but no, they're you got to do a mint julep. I love mint juleps. Kenny makes one of the best mint juleps. I mean, they're they're hard to drink all the time, but at the track, Kentucky Derby, it's like it's quintessential Derby stuff. So, and uh, just a quick little history because I was sitting there googling at it. Uh, the the mint julep has actually been associated with the Kentucky Derby since 1938, and even before then. Uh, it's been documented that it was actually a, a literature as early as 1784 that it was for curing sickness of the stomach. So, amen. There we go. I guess, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's we don't have any medical uh people here on the show, so nobody can really comment about that one. But uh, there is there is a history associated the Holiday Inn Express. How, how is that? How is that different from anything else, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. We're we're pretending we're stewards, you know. From the, <laughs> right. I've got a medallion oh, back here somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, anybody else have any kind of comments on that? Like, is it is it a, is it a bastardization of bourbon, or is it still have its its rightful place in in history? I'll say I'm 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 a big fan of mint juleps. I I tend to drink old fashions and mint juleps when it comes to mixed bourbon drinks not too too often but i will say over time probably more juleps than old fashions now it's great in the summer um i kind of got sick of going to the store to get mint so i started growing some in the yard it grows like a weed it grows really well Um, 
it, it stays really well in the fridge once I, once I pull it. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I, I just think it's a fantastic, easy drink that, you know, people always tend to really like, uh, not usually as strong as I make them. So I have to remember that, um, you know, with other people kind of let them know to let it simmer for a little while and then pick up some of the ice to kind of water it down. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a fun, great, uh, summer drink. Nothing wrong with mixing bourbon if that's what you want to do. So I feel like somebody needs to take the opposite position here. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Um, I'm not that far, but what does get me a little bit every year is the amount of, uh, I don't know if everybody else gets them, but like the text of like, hey, they're making $2,500 men jewel TV. Man, I wish you could do something like that. I'm like, okay, like it's for charity. I get it. I'm completely okay with that side but they're just taking Woodford reserve. <laughs> it's just regular mint julep in a fancy cup, but no, it's like glacier water. And oh, yeah. well, that was one year, yeah. one year they did glacier water this year. I believe they did like a, um, a honey simple syrup mint. And basically it was a barrel aged simple syrup that was done like for a year or something like that. But now I don't pin, yeah. pick ju- or pick mint from the infield or something. I don't know, <laughs> but that was, um, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, it's great publicity for Woodford, but why they're the ones where uh, they they really get credit for the uh, Kentucky Derby. Because you know, <laughs> they pay for about. it. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. <laughs> they got them brown foreman pockets. But um, no, so I, I'm a once a year mint julep kind of guy. Um, 364 days a year. If you ask me what I would like, mint julep is never in the top 10. Um, but, you know, it's hot. It's, April it uh or May well tables. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He should really weigh in on the you last week, so I'm, my, yeah. my week's kind of running together at this point. But no, it, you know it's it's warm outside. It's like okay, it's it's there's a lot of ice in there, and you know nobody wants to just sit around drinking bourbon neat when it's 85 degrees out. So for that, I let it slide any other day of the week or any other day of the year. Um, I'm not for a mint julep. Well, and I think, too, it has a place as if you're going to be day drinking because you're going to the track all damn day. That's that's your starter drink. That's your morning drink. You Just like you don't necessarily want bourbon neat if it's 90 degrees out, you don't always want to start off with a barrel-proof bourbon neat. So warm up to it. Start with a couple of juleps. That helps uh, set a base, and you're good for the day. And then you can wake up in your track outfit. Yeah. And you wake up in your track outfit. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're in velour uh, jumpsuit. Yep. <laughs> you're spinning on the floor. <laughs> you're, yep. So the other thing that we kind of see with with bourbon and horses, and and Brian saw a little of this before we started. So hopefully he's been he's been trying to think of this beforehand. But I kind of want to put a question and actually kind of test your knowledge. How many brands can you name that have a horse on the label? Go ahead, start naming them off. So we got bland, oh, on the label or just on like just the, bourbon and bullet at one point had thoroughbred, which had a horse on it. Um, Four Roses had Secretariat, had a yeah. horse on it. Um, don't forget. Uh, good. Let's see, who else do we have? Don't forget Gifted Horse. Gifted Horse. Who yep. was that bad? Got Rock Hill Farms. Uh, Rock Hill Farms. Calumet. Calumet, Calumet is one. Pinhook. Pinhook's a new one that's kind of yeah, really all their different brands have it. Um think of Smooth Ambler. What the ten or was I it? think it most any of the old scouts, I think, you have a, old scout? Scout? Yep. Okay. Yep. 
Um, and that's it. Sure, there's a horse on some yippee kaye. Oh, yeah, yippee kaye has it. So people were saying Bronco. Chestnut Farms from Total Wine. Chestnut Farms, yeah. Old Carter. I don't remember old. Oh, yeah, Old Carter, the new like one that old came Carter, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. That has it on there. It's 11. Yeah, and somebody said Maker's Mark. I don't recall, unless you're just talking about like the uh, the like whatever like new special releases yeah. that they have and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Rumor is that uh, Pursuit Series number 10 may have horse on it, and it's <laughs> Ryan in his tracksuit on the back of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually, he's not actually it's on, on it. He's just, kinda, he's just kind of like, he's kind of like just wavered to the side because yeah. he, he can't, because his spine just gave out after that. He's point. getting thrown off the horse. <laughs> you get him on the penny horse at Kroger in a tracksuit. That's what needs to go on the label. <laughs> now that's I'm ready for photo shoot. Yeah, um, Woodford Derby models is mentioned well, in the show. Sure enough, yeah, every year. Yeah, Plenty so of those. there's there's a lot of ties just with horses and bourbon, as we can just see that from the, the sheer array of stuff that's out there. So I guess if you want a bottle to sell, put a horse on it. Yeah, I think well, it's that's like old, old historical names and horses is what sells in bourbon, right? It's uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right think about the two imagery it's that's typically what it is and uh, tony just mentioned bell mead as well another one we forgot about oh yeah all right mm-hmm. so associating an animal with the label too of a spirit tends to help it tends to do yeah. better wine will do that too makes You'll it see taste that better in too. Wine. of course it does <laughs> and <laughs> when you can put the animal on it too all right, so while we're talking about animals and spirit animals, Nick, if you were to start a brand and put a spirit, <laughs> a spirit animal, animal on it, what's with your spirit animal? Dragon. <laughs> Dragon glass. Is that, is that something to do with tax season, too? I mean, I have no yeah. idea. I, I was just thinking of the movie Coco for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say How to Train Your Dragon because that's been on repeat in the uh, Bourboner household as of recently. I don't know why my kids don't like that for whatever reason. I, oh, I love yeah. the movie and they watched it once. No, we refuse to watch that again. <laughs> Guys, this is actually good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and move on because, you know, Bell Mead was just mentioned, and Bell Mead is part of one of the things that kind of leads us into this next conversation, and this is just seeing what's happened with MGP lately. MGP prices are skyrocketing. Mic Drop is trading for around the – or at least Mic Drop, I think, number one or maybe number two. I can't forget which one. Uh, It's trading at the same value as a Pappy 23. There's now a dedicated Facebook trading group of only MGP. Uh, <laughs> and I'm seeing more brands in that group than I've ever even heard of before. And you see people that are trying to sort of figure out where's the where's the next distillery with H stock of MGP that's selling it. And then they're hoarding it. And then it's just kind of like moving on to the next one. So can you guys think of like when this phenomenon began of people that just started going crazy over MGP? It's funny, like, I don't know if it, we'll have to look back at, at the, it wasn't too long ago where we were like talking about, isn't it just MGP that they're just putting it out there? And like, you know, nobody were, was buying it because they're like, isn't it just another MGP? And it's funny how the tides have turned to the other. And I'm not sure what started. I'm sure with anything in bourbon, it's, there's less and less age stock of it. Um, so now people think it's better. Which it is great. I mean, I love 12-year MGP, 13, 14 is some of the best stuff out there. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't get it. Because, I, I think, mean, if, sorry, go ahead. I mean, uh, yeah, just go ahead, Nick. I, I was going to say, I think when 
at one point when it was kind of behind a brand and, you know, you knew they're making it, but you knew you had a p- pretty big accessible brand. That was one thing. But now that you're seeing these smaller niche brands with MGP, you know, with in some cases age statements and other cases, just a limited number of bottling bottlings, you know, limited number of bottles. It's got some hype, some momentum behind it. You know, I think people have come around to the fact that MGP really knows what they're doing. I mean, they're good at making whiskey. You know, there's no question about that. And in combination with people that are good at marketing whiskey, and in some cases, it is really good whiskey. Um, I think that's kind of that snowballs kind of happened here. And, you know, it's it's if there's enough different about the label, enough different about, you know, people are talking about it, that's going to generate that snowball effect for it. You know, I think that's what we're kind of seeing happen. You know, you're no longer having the, you know, I'm a big sourcer of bourbon and it, I'm going to make everything taste the same. And, you know, that's going to be our goal. Instead, you're saying, no, I'm going to make a niche product with a small you know, number of bottles and I'm going to make that look and feel special. And MGP is behind in a lot of cases that, and it's getting more limited to find the older stuff. That's what's happening. And people want it because the the momentum is finally built up. Well, I I see it. It's a little odd because I think if you, you can just Google it. I think there's a, there's a article out there that says your craft distiller is actually coming from a, a, like a warehouse in Indiana Factory. And, yeah, yeah factory in Indiana. I think that's exactly what it was. And that's I, I remember that. I remember when that came out years ago. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what helped kind of kickstart my education because that was something that I wasn't necessarily always up to snuff about. And that's really when you start learning how to read labels. You understand when it says distilled in Indiana, like all of a sudden, like the cogs should start clicking together and the the the, the gears start moving. But it, it it's funny because at that time there was this stigma or this kind of like thought process that people said, well, why would you just want to buy somebody's source whiskey? Like, why don't you just go buy somebody that uh, is, is distilling it and making themselves like it's transparency on the label. But now it's kind of done a complete 180 where people are like, Oh yeah, I just, I just want that. Like, I don't care if it says Traverse city or Blom brothers or whatever it is. Like, I just want the juice that's inside. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Nick. I think it's a lot, sorry, Blake. I, I no, agree no, with Nick. It's a lot of marketing. I mean, my word, it's the same stuff that's been out. And like Kenny, like you say, it's it, originally people poo-pooed it because it all came from Indiana. So the only thing different is how it's marketed and the price that they charge for it. Um, so I don't know. So so go ahead, Blake. Yeah, so um, I would kind of go with that it's proven itself as a really good thing. So but, but there is some differences, you know, for me, it goes back to like the smooth ambler days when they were sourcing and, and putting out a lot where that was what first really turned me on to MGP was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this stuff is really yeah. good. And then, you know, you taste some from other distilleries or brands and labels, that kind of stuff. And it's like, this is MGP, but it tastes different. So it becomes a little bit of a collector thing, too. It's like with Buffalo Trace. Yeah, I love Buffalo Trace, but why would I just buy the Buffalo Trace brand? Why do I still try to buy the stags and all that of the world? Because there's difference in the barrels. Um, so I would agree it is marketing, but who's the one really doing the marketing? Because MGP, I mean, what they spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks a year on marketing or something. And it's really these labels and brands that are kind of put given the push behind it. But with these kind of groups and everything, they aren't really looking at the marketing nearly as much, in my opinion. You know, they're they're focused on 
the, the actual bourbon and then it just becomes a little bit of a, a cultish thing and um it, it's like you know Stitzelweller all that much better is it two thousand dollars better better than a comparable bottle probably not but it's got a little bit of a um you know cachet behind it that that gives it that extra boost that it needs so um and i also say that because i have an mgp pick coming out pretty soon so it's going to be worth at least seven hundred dollars a bottle but it is it's getting harder to find these distilleries and that um that have aged product you know a lot of it's four and six years old Um, yeah i just happen to find uh you know bull run has some that's uh close to 13 well a little over 13 years old and it's you, you don't see that popping up nearly as much anymore. Yeah, I think that's a good point from Blake because there's a, a huge gap between, you know, like you said, the four to five year MGP juice to the 13, 12 to 13, 14. You know, there's not really anything in between. And so, like, you have like a very rare supply of the older age stuff and then a huge gap until it's younger. And so that age stuff is just getting kind of hype because of the supply side of that. And that's probably with most bourbons out there today, you know. Cause there is a huge gap in all bourbons from five years to, you know, 10 to 12. Frank has a pretty good theory in the chat. Uh, he said, in my perspective, the allocation game has drove MGP promotion, uh, which might be somewhat true. You know, you can't get your hands on a regular bottle of Blanton's anymore, but you have some really good age stock of MGP that's floating around from multiple distilleries that, yeah, you can get your hands on uh, pretty well. So that's a, that's a pretty mm-hmm. good theory behind it mm-hmm. as well. Um, the other thing, you know, we talked about the the marketing aspect. I don't know if I agree with the, the the way these brands were doing marketing. I think it's it's been the community of of the underground groups that have really been able to pick and find these things. If I recall, like one of the first ever Blom Brothers picks that I saw came out of Cork and Bottle up in Northern Kentucky, and then after that, it's like it's like a everybody just swarms to something and they just gobble it all up, they eat it up, and then now like. Blum Brothers is crushed. Like they have no more like age stock that they're putting to do their single barrel program. Same thing happened to Boone County. Like Boone County does $175, sorry, $175 per bottle now through their gift shop of the same 13, 14 year MGP juice. And so it just, it's this community, I think that is, is very bullish in regards of how they are going about acquiring this through multiple means of, of finding these distilleries. But part of that too is is how small the end outlet is, though that's actually putting their label on it and selling it. That people can identify that okay, it is something that's different from something else out there. You know, it's you know ultimately put together and, and bottled by this company over here. Whether that company is deliberately somehow reaching those people or it's just by chance that they're being reached, and then they're they're small enough that that relatively small number of people can make a run on it. You know, it's almost as if you, you know, you separate it into to what's behind it. So you've got the distillation and then you've got ultimately the blending in most cases, in some cases, a single barrel, just identifying what those are. And then you've put the label on it. Yeah, I think what's behind it as well is people have recognized that MGP from a distillation perspective can do and has done a very good job. And they've 
done a good job. They've, they've made really good bourbons, you know, and some companies are good at finding what those are and bottling them, whether they're blending it or doing single barrels or whatever. You know, I think the communities kind of recognize that and, and, you know, giving them that credit. And when that happens, you know, they, just like you said, Kenny, their people are jumping on it because they believe it, it's going to be, they believe it's true and they believe that can be a really good bourbon. But it doesn't even have to be a good bourbon, though. I mean, that's the thing. If, if right. you're starting a new brand now, the recipe is to source it, to release under 2,000 bottles, mm-hmm. and to have a really cool label. And you just generate that hype, and it sells. And the, the, the other point is to have a really high price for it. So limited supply, really high price, cool label, limited number for sale, and that just drives it. And, and like you guys are saying, People eat it up and it just, it feeds itself. I also see this as like an expansion too. You know, for a while there was, and maybe I was part of the problem too, is, you know, you're you're a Kentucky snob at first and all you want to drink is Kentucky bourbon whiskey. And then all of a sudden you hear about this distilled MGPI, Indiana sort of stuff. And you kind of, you, you write it off for the longest time. And then all of a sudden you kind of, somebody introduces you to it, you know, you get a few smooth amblers, you do all, and you kind of start enjoying it. And so it kind of starts breaking this mold now where everybody at some point just said like, oh, like Kentucky. And now it's like, okay, well, Kentucky and Indiana, like how far is this going to go until it keeps spreading to say like, okay, well now we can say at least 16 states in the U.S. are producing good whiskey. So I I think it's also going to be a a kind of a breaking the mold of just how people envision and and think of where can they get their bourbon now too. Yeah, no doubt. Mm Because most people – they want the Kentucky name. They want the Kentucky brand behind it. And that gives them a lot of validity and credit that it's going to be something good. But when reality, you know, and we're Kentuckians and we do make the best bourbon, there is a lot of good people out there making some really good juice that uh, can compete with us for sure. But it is, it is, there's that stigma though, that if it's not Kentucky, then it's kind of, eh, yeah, oh no. Yeah, it'll just it'll take a few years for that stigma to go. And and I think at this point, like what what MGP and distilled in Indiana does when you see that in the back label, now people's ears perk up. They're like, all right, cool. It's going to be good Indiana stuff. And so I think it's just going to take a time. One last thought, too. I think maybe like some something like Templeton Rye probably heard MGP for a little bit. Yeah. You know, because like you said, that article, you know, came out and then they're like, well, if everybody's doing it, then those brands, they just suck. Or that's, you know, that's not, I'm not going to buy that. And then, but once they actually try it, then their opinions change. But it's hard to break that opinion when it's so strong against it. Absolutely. And so when uh, somebody, Ian, the bourbon guy just said, uh, Kentucky, I'll change the game as far as pricing goes. And that kind of leads us into our, our next little segment here. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. I haven't actually tried it yet. Ryan and I, we both have samples of Kentucky Elk confiscated. However, there's uh, there's a certain name. He's been on the podcast, Wade Woodard. It seems like he's on a mission to uh, make Dixon <laughs> feel really, really bad about himself. Uh, but, you know, he, he kind of looks at what Kentucky Elk confiscated is as the, uh, what do you say, the, the speaker van or, or right. sorry, the uh, what, what was it? What was the analogy he used? The, the, the guy is selling speakers out of a white van. van. Yeah, yeah right. that, that analogy. Essentially saying that what they're doing is they're sourcing a, a bourbon, which everybody knows that Kentucky Owl is sourcing. However, they're putting no age statement on it. Uh, and they're selling it for around $100, $130 in some markets. So what do you guys see on the thoughts of the future? Do you think this is going to be leading the pack? in regards of other people doing this? Or do you think this is going to be a, a one-off and who knows if it's going to sell through or not? Well, I've got, I got a, a story. It's on, on the topic, but before we jump into it, so when, when my wife and I uh, first got married, bought our house, we went furniture shopping. We we're looking for a, a dining room set. And uh, the first store we went to, small store, one salesman walked us through the whole store, told us, everything we didn't want to know about furniture and everything about it. And we were enlightened, but also really kind of dazed and confused. Went to the next store and a very different experience. The person walking us around was, you know, just kind of touching on things. And we came up to one set that was like $6,000. And, and she said, now this, this is like, this is the best set. And I'm looking at it. I didn't like the style of it. I didn't recognize at all what would make it better. And I said, why is this one the best one? And she looks and she was really stumped. And she looks at me with a straight face and says, well, it's just more expensive. <laughs> and then not, if that was going to be the natural transition. So I wanted to say that before we jumped into this conversation, just as because this kind of reminded me of that in a sense, as I started to dig into what's actually inside this bottle, trying to figure out what I've got here. You know, I have a sample here too behind me. Yeah, that's, it's, it's with the old adage, perception is reality. And, you know, if you, the way... If you price things high, people are automatically going to think it's premium or superior to all the, you know, everyday bourbons. Uh, the, probably to everyday consumers, it it does work with us. We can kind of sniff it out, and you know, but maybe that's not who they're trying to go after. So maybe they don't give a shit what we think, and they're going to price it that way anyways. And they should, you know, and see what the market bears because that's what business people is all about, it. you know. So yeah. if they pay it. Why not? But, uh, you know, you've, you've priced it right if they pay it. Yeah. yeah I mean, and I have and I have not tried it, so I can't say it's worth it or not worth it. But uh, it's 
it's hard to say that it's probably going to be worth it, but maybe it will be. We'll see. Blake, have you kept count of how many posts that have been on your Facebook group about uh, people holding bottles of it and saying, is this a good buy? Okay. <laughs> Those all get deleted. Don't post any unopened bottle pictures to Berberner. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I see at least one a week between either that or Houston yeah. Bourbon Society, one or the other. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And, and that's the thing is, like these these bourbons and brands that are coming out now, they're not really made for the connoisseur. They're not made for the majority of the people watching this podcast. Like, I love what Dixon's doing, and he's an incredible blender. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a sales machine behind it that's that's pricing this stuff and coming out with new brands and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's where I think we're we're just seeing the beginning of the actual pricing and you know having a more expensive bottle and we ha- i still don't think we've seen the real big money get into bourbon that we will in 5 or 6 years you know i still think we're on the the forefront of that when you look like what's going on with wine and scotch and all that and kind of to next point of stores people are going to walk in and say oh i I want the best bourbon you have they're just going to grab what's most expensive on the shelf so i can't blame these brands for doing that now am i going to be going out and spending my bottle or or spending my money on those bottles or even suggesting people that this is the best buy no but i mean if if we just wanted to buy the best value we'd buy nothing but i don't know wild turkey 101 or something so to me, it's about trying something new, trying something different. Um, if $130 doesn't like set you back and you're it's between that and paying the mortgage that month, like enjoy it, drink the bourbon, have fun. Um, but you know, don't get too caught up in the hype of just having an expensive bottle to buy. So I don't know. It, it to me, it's it's gotten a little out of control, and it seems like Kentucky Owl is kind of getting the uh, the brunt of the force at times. When that's just where the market's going all together. Well, I think they get a little bit of the brunt because it is an NDP and it is mm-hmm. NAS. And I think that's really where a lot of the there's a lot of that out. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe not the combination of both. <laughs> yeah, and don't be wrong. We, we like Dixon too. And he's a, he's a good friend of the show and stuff like that. Um, you know, one thing I thought I just had, it was, it was literally last week. Somebody was here in Louisville and they said, I need to get a, a, a bottle of uh, a birthday or sorry, gee, I can a bottle of bourbon for my friend's birthday as somewhere around like the $80 value. And I'm kind of like, I, geez, I don't even know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they were like, wait, you host a bourbon podcast and you can't tell me one bourbon at $80. <laughs> and, but anyway, uh, you know, and this, this is kind of what could be there that fits that mold, sort of that higher premium tier category that, you know, some, but some people like us, we may not be in for it, but you know, the regular Joe that it's on the shelves, it has a high price tag. It's the perception that that's there. Uh, now, one Blake, I, one thing I want to kind of like tail on to what you said there is, is you said that you don't think the the real high dollar, high price tag of bourbon has come yet. Um, I I look at it and saying, I hope you're wrong, but kind of kind of expand on what you're thinking there. Yeah. So, I mean, just think about the, the bottles, the expensive bottles that you have um sitting around now and i had this conversation with somebody i think it was last week or so i was like happy 23 you know secondary is probably 2000 2500 at the most there's guys spending you know upwards of 
thirty, forty thousand dollars on a bottle of scotch. There's guys spending, you know, a thousand dollars on a bottle of wine, like it's nothing. The wine's literally one sitting. So to a lot of the a lot of this money, like bourbon seems like a steal right now, e- even where we are. You know, if I can go spend three thousand dollars on what's quote unquote the best bourbon available and the most sought after bourbon in the world. Like that's nothing for for a lot of these guys, and I think we'll start seeing more and more of that money start to pour in as we go through the years. And you know, bourbon doesn't seem to be slowing down. So as much as we probably hate it as consumers and enthusiasts, the prices are just going to continue to go up and up and up. And um, you know, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. When the uh, the Kevin O'Leary's of Shark Tank start making their yeah. way, into <laughs> <laughs> whenever he starts buying Pappy and putting it on the show, we're all in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When Blake said that, that caught my attention too because I I'm past the time now where it must have been five six years ago. I figured by now I would have bought a still out of bankruptcy for some from some craft distiller who had failed, and the prices would be back down to where they you know where they were. 10 years ago and i was totally wrong i mean it's it's still going up and you get new releases coming out at 150 and 200 dollars and you know if, if the market bears it it's with more fans coming on it's it's going to keep going up and i, th- so, I think what's sorry go ahead brian and no that, that yeah i was just wrapping up on on there it's just it's continuing to climb and it surprises the hell out of me and i think what's interesting is if you kind of think about scotch and if you go to a store with a fairly deep uh, selection, you know, the scotch that you see on the shelf and the price of the scotch on the shelf. And if you go in the back room where, you know, that same bottle for $3,000 has been there, the one for $5,000 has been there, you know, and eventually somebody's going to buy it, you know, this stuff is on the shelf all the time and you kind of don't have this run on it. Whereas with bourbon, when you have these kind of higher cost releases, you're still getting the the liquor store holding in the back, parsing it out as something special for somebody. Um, they touch the shelves and a lot of times they're gone. I mean, there are the exceptions, of course. And I think we've tested that a little bit with, you know, some of these releases. I mean, I know some of the Knob Creek releases that were special releases are still kind of hanging around, you know, yeah. above the $100 mark. Some of the Wild Turkey releases are still kind of hanging around. So I think the market's kind of touched that a little bit with bourbon and seeing that in some cases it will you know, in some areas at least sit for, you know, for, for quite a while and maybe doesn't have that same kind of momentum that scotch has built up over time. But I do think we're still potentially on that, on that precipice on the beginning of, you know, seeing the higher price stuff, but also seeing it as regular everyday stuff. Kind of think of it like Basil Hayden, which, you know, around here is 40 to $50, you know, sometimes a little bit more. There's nothing inherently really special about that besides what the label is you know but in somebody's price range that feels like a special bottle it looks like a special bottle you know for a lot of people 80 proof is fine they don't really want any more than that and they're going to put it on the rocks anyway you know so that same person whether go hunt when they go hunting for that gift for somebody and they don't see anything in bourbon for over 80 dollars on the shelf because it's gone or it's not there or it's in the back room and they're not going to sell it to them they see something like this. They don't know about age statements. They don't know about the story. They're not going to Google it. Any of that, you know, they're going to, somebody's going to say, this is really good stuff. And they're going to say, well, it must be, it's $125. I'll take it. You know, and I think we're going to see that happen. And that got me thinking too, because I was, I was thinking about, it. I said, you know, I'm reading all the press releases, trying to dig into this. I've got a bunch of questions out to the company. I'm waiting to hear back on. And, you know, it, it kind of 
I think the the non-age stated is kind of the thing that jumps out. But it, to me, it's more than that because you definitely see, you know, bourbons that don't have an age statement that are good. But it's more of the kind of like just give me something about it. You know, give me more than just the tasting notes. You know, bourbon, I think, kind of needs for me, at least somewhat of a story with it. If it's not apparently obvious, you know, where it's just tell me more about it. Tell me how it came to be. Give me some background about this. I mean, the story could be kind of cool, but it's all right. There's nothing there. It's a name. I want to know more about what's in this bottle to make it feel a little bit more special if it's going to be up at 125 and I'm going to think about buying it. Yeah, I think we totally discount like uh, because we are enthusiasts and we have a run a bourbon community round table how uh because <laughs> we're sitting how, at uh, 10 o'clock at night yeah <laughs> how, how uh naive and uh kind of gullible shoppers are you know everyday shoppers and i'm reminded by this every time my wife sends me to go buy wine at the liquor store i go and i have no idea and i'm like look can somebody help me out here like yeah. you know what's a good value what's a good bottle you know here and you know so it's you know, there, there is that at play. You know, there's a lot of people getting into this game. And like you said, you, somebody shows me a 40 or $50 bottle of wine, which is expensive for wine. Cause you have to drink in one sitting. I'm like, well, it's gotta be pretty good. You know, it's higher dollar or, you know, or if it's like the seven or $8 wine, which it's probably good, but, and probably just as good as the 40 or 50. I'm like, ah, we'll just, you know, pass on that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, we need to start upping our prices on everything to start fitting this new market is what you're trying to say. That's right. Pretty much. Well, I mean, when when you think about what, what Blake just said in having these, these crazy asinine releases or or these scotches that are $30,000, there is a little bit of the market that is kind of getting hit with that right now. I mean, Buffalo trace and Sazerac they're, they're doing their best to try to do it. You know, the, the OFC releases, the devil Eagle, very rare, you know, these $6,000 bottles, $9,000 bottles that, you know, we typically don't see at the retail store shelves and that's actually the, actually probably a, another good point is that if you all saw one of those, would you buy it? Because at this point you're kind of like, uh, well, they could be, but I don't want to know if I want to be a part of that or not. Someone <laughs> offered me double Eagle or what are, albatross what are we calling that one <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was they said hey the distributor can probably get two bottles do you want them i'm like oh yeah i'll take them both absolutely and then they end up selling them to somebody else but and then i'm in the back of my head thinking like am i about to spend thirty eight hundred dollars on a slightly older eagle rare 17 you, you know like is that where we are in the game but yeah you get caught in the hype you go and you see it selling for $5,000 or whatever it is. And you kind of think, Oh man, th- this is smart. And you this talk must to be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's people out there that flip sport cars and, 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 you know, crazy stuff like that. So it's, it's, there's always yeah. a market for that. So don't steal this blog post idea because it's still in the works, but I, I <laughs> you're lucky because we don't belong. We don't write. Yeah. Uh, I've started like collecting, um, stories from all these other enthusiasts which talk about you know what's the most expensive expensive thing in their field and there's like i was talking to my uncle about it and he was talking telling me about these wood duck decoys where guys are spending six seven thousand dollars for a wood duck decoy i'm like okay if somebody can spend that much for a wood duck decoy or a putter because it's you know scotty cameron used it to put left-handed once you know 
if if there's all these other things, maybe bourbon's not as dumb and as crazy as I think. But you know, every hobbyist and enthusiast kind of has their thing in their um, you know in their little circle. And to them, it seems crazy. To outside people, it seems real crazy. But at the end of the day, if the money's there, the money's there. Yep, absolutely. That's so let's, how you explain it to your wife, Blake, when you buy the <laughs> don't wait you're listening now, Danielle, it's not crazy. When you buy the wine at all, Blake. Buy yeah, it all. Yeah. That's when you have those secret credit cards stashed. <laughs> I want to see the wood ducks. I'm kind of intrigued oh, by that, that. That's what I, I can't wait for the blog post. What in the world is that? He's like, well, you know, Ernest Hemingway, or I, I don't know what he is. I kind of <laughs> lost track after he said wood ducks. But. <laughs> Sounds like a bourbon story. So, yeah. <laughs> really cool. Good so, the last row bourbon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wooden duck and horses. It'll, it'll all come together and it'll, it'll sell. So, the last thing we want to hit on, kind of leave this on a high note, is it's kind of basically, I, th- I think it's out there now. That there was a TTB article. I saw somebody that had a distillery sample already. So, I think it's going to pretty much be solid at this point that wild turkey has announced and they are releasing their next limited edition master's keep and it is going to be called cornerstone it is a rye a 17 year rye priced at around 175 dollars hitting the shelves in august and it's looking to be about fifteen thousand bottles available nationwide which is a pretty pretty good release so anybody excited for this one to kind of see a, a rye come out of this considering i think the past couple years we haven't even seen a russell's reserve rye on the shelf Take notes, Heaven Hill and Parker's Heritage Collection. <laughs> yeah. No more. No, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, uh, you know, I think the uh, the need for a little bit of an older rye. What's the, it, it is barrel proof? Yeah, 109 proof. Okay. I'm not Which, sure. you know, in Wild Turkey and, and the Master's Key. Yeah, probably 17 years ago, that, yeah, that yeah. might have gone in at 107. I mean, that's... Yeah. I'm more excited about that than any other release I've seen in 2019. So, yeah. not even the most recent Orphan Barrel with the <laughs> the big old buffalo was, on it. That was up there. What was that called? Bad decisions or shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Scotch, isn't it? It is. It's like a like a 20 something year old Scotch, I, something like that. Hard to believe with how light the color looks in the pictures. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's get back to turkey. Let's, this is <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for wild turkey. You know, I, I feel like some of their first few kind of limited releases, at least that I kind of get into, I just, they didn't hit the mark for me. Um, I feel like they've been getting better and better. Um, they're certainly, you know, very capable. So, you know, I, I feel like we're just waiting for some more of those limited releases from them to just be some of the magic bottles you know and, and and really have the people and the story and everything behind it you know to you know to back all that up so i'm excited for everything everything they're doing and excited to see something different excited to see a rye i'm i'm i love rye. i'm a big fan of rye so whenever there's a limited release rye i'm, I'm typically uh into it camped out you mean yeah <laughs> On that point, they say that Jimmy's not a fan of rye. So when this got announced that it's going to be a rye, that surprised me. But I'm still really excited about it. To have that age, that does mean that it probably went in at 107. Um, it's it's 
definitely going to be worth trying. So I'm excited about it. The question is, will you buy as many as you bought of the diamond? <laughs> <laughs> we can't let that die. We can't no, no. <laughs> well, that's funny. I will not do that. <laughs> well, Jimmy wasn't a fan of, it was the diamond, was he? Because of the age. Of the age. I mean, they talked right. about the age being more than what he obviously liked. And which they, I and thought they actually was, dialed it back from, from test lens. I had yeah. a test lens that was, had more age in it and that I, you know, in whatever my opinion's worth, I thought was better. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's got, you, you got to defer to him to, to some extent, no doubt about that. I'm not going to try to trump him. Um, but hearing that he doesn't like rye and hearing that this one is a rye, Kind of confused me, but I'm I'm all over it for that age and that proof and and what that probably went into the barrel at. That's that's bound to be good. Yeah, I think they're making way for the new blood because we were down doing our uh, barrel pick of Russells and uh, Bruce um, Eddie's son. He's a huge rye fan, and he let us taste some of some fantastic rye barrels. Um, and I'm really excited about this one. Uh, I think. Wild Turkey's kind of whiffed on a bunch of special releases, and I'm hoping that this one is kind of a, a home run because the rides that me and Kenny tasted there were, were fantastic, and I'm excited for this. Yeah, I'm pulling for him on it. That is kind of interesting. Sure. Um, you, you know, you, you think about the misses. It seems like the Russell's brand has seemed to done pretty well with the 1998 and the, what's it, 2002? 2002. Uh, right. But then the Masters keeps, I mean, some of them have been pretty good, but for the majority, they just kind of sit on the shelf. So it will be interesting to see if this kind of changes the tide a little bit for them. I know, and it's surprising because Russell picks are so good. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're one of my favorites to do, and it's like – how can they not get the limited releases down? You know, it's like, it's like something's not connecting there, but hopefully this one's uh, hopefully they, they hit it out of the park with this one. Well, it's like they're trying to make the re- limited releases somewhere out of the, out of the bounds, you know, almost out of the bounds of that sweet spot of, you know, 10, 12 years old and, you know, the sweet spot with the proof and everything. And so you say, well, we, we can't just do that and bottle the same thing, you know, we put in Russell's Reserve single barrel or whatever it might be. So it's got to be different. It's got to be older or different proof or, you know, something like that. And I think that's what the struggle's been is because they have kind of been so good at that sweet spot that now it's, well, we got we to gotta get outside the sweet spot to make this thing special. So what do we do? You know, and I think that's been their challenge. Yep. Yeah, I mean you're right. It's it's hard to make a limited release if you just put a limited release out that's like again like Camp Nelson F at ten years old. Like everybody be like, wait a second, <laughs> we go we go and select these all day for fifty five dollars. You kidding me? So yeah, they they do have a, a little bit of an issue when it comes to that. But yeah, I mean I think everybody's pulling for them. Uh, everybody's kind of really been. Yeah, this has actually probably been the worst kept secret in bourbon for the longest time. Everybody sort of knew that there was going to be some aged rye release happening at some point. Uh, so we're glad that it's it's finally out there in the open. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for it. Hopefully get my hands on a bottle or two. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's it's better than Diamond, right? That's all we can do. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need. That's the, bar. the bar has been set. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> So with that, let's go ahead and we will wrap it up. So again, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on tonight and joining us on this 200th episode. Uh, couldn't have picked out a, a better way for this to happen. Just, I mean, just sheer luck that it just happened to be on the dropped on the third week of when we do these. So it just, uh, you think I started planning this out 32 roundtables ago, but it, 
didn't actually happen that way. So uh, let you go ahead and kind of close out uh, each one of yourselves. So Blake, go ahead and go first. Yeah. Once again, thanks for having me. You know, we always like to come on here and jerk around, have a good time, but it's always fun. So Ryan, Kenny, thanks for doing this. It's, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have another 200 here to come soon. So, and the way y'all crank things out, it'll be what? Four years <laughs> or three less? months. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I'm Blake from bourboner.com and sealbox.com. Like I said, you can find me on all social medias, B-O-U-R-B-O-N-R and then S-E-E-L-B-A-C-H-S.com. Dot com. <laughs> all right, Brian, you're up, buddy. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys, too. This has been great. It's been a great run. Looking forward to more. Uh, I'm Brian from Sipping Corn. Find me on the social medias, S-I-P-P-N-C-O-R-N and bourbonjustice.com. Please do check it out on Amazon. I think it's on sale right now. Makes a uh, we got some Mother's Days. Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up. Makes a great gift. Thanks, guys. And uh, I am Nick with Breaking Bourbon, breakingbourbon.com. Um, find us online, uh, social media, uh, everything's at Breaking Bourbon, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, yeah, I want to say, uh, you know, thank you guys for for hosting it. You know, I just, I, I just show up, you know, for the hour or whatever, but uh, I know a lot goes into, you know, goes into doing this. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, and, and what we see here, you know, this hour that, you know, that people see, you know, what, what I think about too is now we've been to Kentucky a couple times, you know, hung out in person, you know, we did the, the, the community round table barrel, uh, what a little over a year ago, you know, so all that, I think really just kind of started from doing this. And, uh, you know, I think that's, what's really exciting about it is, uh, the, you know, the friendships and the connections that, you know, that come out of it. So excited to be here. And next we'll be doing our 200th bourbon community round table. So that, that'll be many, many in the go. future, but, uh, you know, at and some Blake point, be there I, I believe it'll happen. <laughs> so, thanks, guys. Oh, uh, we'll all be somebody. Somebody will be definitely bald by then. It has to. That'll have to happen. That's what we that that <laughs> I have a high forehead. It has nothing that, to do with receding. <laughs> yeah, my hair moves from here to everywhere else. So that's. Yeah. <laughs> and, and before I, Ryan, you close this out. You know, I also have to say, you know, uh, you know, of course, thank you to you guys, but also thank you very much to our community that helps support this podcast. Uh, I don't think anybody really you know, understands what it, the amount of effort that it takes to, to go and publish this and do this um, and what the community that's helped support this on Patreon. You know, as I'd mentioned before, this podcast almost ended uh, a few years ago because we didn't really see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there was it was just kind of just kept digging a hole and we didn't really know where we we're going. Uh, but now we, we kind of have a, you know, 200 episodes later, we finally have our groove. We think we have things figured out. So it's uh, it's great to have our community behind us to, that really helps support this and, and keeps it going. So thank you to everybody out there that helps. Yeah, absolutely. And just to piggyback off what Kenny said, um, I'm kind of like Nick. I just show up for an hour and, uh, and talk as well. So kudos to Kenny. He does a lot for the show and and has made you know my dream and vision a reality. And I just want to say thank you, Kenny, for keeping that going. And uh uh, through the times, you know, that we're not as fruitful as it is now, you know, uh, a, a lot of people do don't realize how much work goes. And like tomorrow we have a conference call about, all right, what are our next guests? When are we going to interview them? When are we going to do the calendar? You know, there's just so much work that's involved and it's, and we're just so grateful and thankful that people listen to us and they hang out with us. We've created great 
relationships with this in, in this community with our Patreon fans. It's super humbling and uh, just grateful for everyone involved. So, uh, and with that, I'll give a gift for uh, this 200th episode. I I just got this for my birthday from a good buddy at Heaven Hill. It's the old Fitzgerald Bald and Bond. Hadn't been released yet. It'll be released in spring oh. sometime. The 13 oh. year. Just open it up, and it's it's by far the best one they've done, and the best thing I've had this year. So, um, just a little tidbit there. So, anyways, <laughs> thanks everyone for uh, listening in, and uh, uh, you know where you know where to find us on all the socials. Kitty does all that, but uh, appreciate everyone listening, and we'll see you all next uh, on episode four hundred in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everybody! Cheers, Cheers, Cheers. guys.